JG Nandra, welcome to Adults Class 2 Practical Applications of Jainism. Let's start with the no karma. Namo Arihantanam, Namo Siddhanam, Namo Ayariyanam, Namo Uchayanam, Namo Lue Savasahunam, Eso Panchanamo Karo, Sava Pava Panasanam, Nalalancha Savesim, Paramam Have Mangalam. So last time we had an interesting discussion about thoughts and their role in your life and Jainism particularly whether they count and what they count for. Uh, so today I'd like to finish that discussion properly because we kind of just briefly talked about it last time. So our first question, of course, is what is a thought? I guess something that pops in your head, right? So that's something that pops in your head. Yeah, so surprisingly hard to define. So I went to Merriam-Webster. They said, a thought is something that is thought. Yeah. <laughs> now, this is the first time that Merriam-Webster has let me down. Okay, so I went to Cambridge Dictionary. They said, thought is a noun. The act of thinking about or considering something. Now, they just used the verb form to define the noun mm -hmm. form. So again, really bad. So it must be pretty hard. Their second definition was an idea or an opinion. I'm like, okay, that's a little better. A thought is an idea or an opinion. But you can imagine like a picture, an image in your mind. That's not an idea or an opinion, right? So this is a little bit lacking. So the best definition of a thought that I found is, a thought is a mental process that involves, and here's how you know it's gonna go off the rails, okay? <laughs> if you define something and you say, it involves this, or it's related to this, that means you don't really know what it is. You're just talking, you're gonna bring about 10 different subjects into the thing to try to define the boundaries of what you're trying to define. It's almost but, like a chat GPT answer <laughs> at that point. <laughs> so a thought is a mental process, then this is actually pretty good, even though I just told you it was gonna be bad. A thought is a mental process that involves the formation, organization, and interpretation of information in the mind. It is a conscious or unconscious mental activity that encompasses various cognitive processes such as perception, memory, reasoning, and emotions, okay? Thoughts can be verbal or nonverbal, okay? Just like we talked about, you can think about an image. And they play a crucial role in shaping our perception of the world and influencing our behavior and emotions. So, very good definition, but a very long one. Hey, come on in. I think you can. Um, so, that's great. So, that encompasses everything, right? Verbal, nonverbal, you can think about words, you can think about images. It does have to do with how you access your memory, your reasoning, and emotions come into play in your thoughts, and it's an interplay of those things. Sometimes so, it's also like a reflection of something that happened with you, right? Like you would have like sometimes very weird thought that, and you are like, okay, where did it even occur from? Or where did it even come from? But then if you dig deeper, you were like, oh, maybe because I saw this incident with someone else or something happened and it just comes to your mind in your own way. Right, exactly. Hey, come on in. Yeah, it reminds me of like dreams. So my exactly. daughter was telling me about her, she had a bad dream. I'm like, where does she even like come up with these things and how did she even have these thoughts, right? Like right. it's a subconscious mind. So thoughts are originated in your subconscious mind, delivered to your conscious mind, and you have no control over the origination. So what does the book have to say about thoughts? Jain religion puts a significant emphasis on the thought process. A person's behavior and his actions are a reflection of his internal thoughts. It is not only the action, but also the intention behind the action that results in the accumulation of karma. Hence, one should be very careful about their thoughts and the subject matter of their thoughts. That's great. So, does anybody disagree? Does anybody think that your behavior is not a reflection of your thought? No, right? Because all actions are preceded by thoughts. You have to think about to do something in order to do it. And even in order to move, you have to think about moving. Hi, come on in. How you doing? Doing good, how are you all? Good, great to see you. But not all thoughts turn into action. So, in a way, you kind of 
can choose which parts to follow or not, which exactly. to act on or not. Of course, exactly. And that's why you should never be, um, you should never feel guilty if you have a negative thought because you cannot control that. If you are walking across a bridge and you see somebody leaning over and you think, what if I just push that person over, what would happen? You're not a bad person, even if you think that, uh, because you have no control over that thought that happened to you. You can choose to focus on a particular thought that originates in your conscious mind, but don't feel guilty about that at all. It has no reflection. Your actions have a reflection on you, but your thoughts do not, okay? But it is associated with loyalty and genuine the karma, right? Based on your thoughts. That's what I was about to explain. Even if you think of someone like pushing it, isn't it like, am I getting a bad karma? So, yes, you are. Um, but you shouldn't feel guilty about it, okay? It is a reflection on your mind, and we want to always be increasing the quality of our thoughts so that thought doesn't occur to you at some point, right? And so it is true that you get you acquire negative karma just for thinking. It's not only actions. A lot of times we say actions, and then it depends on your intentions behind the actions. But you do get negative, uh, you do get bad karma just for thinking negative thoughts. But isn't it inherently like a person, uh, I don't know, they're just, some people just have negative thoughts all the time. Like not all the time, but mostly a person is negative thinking. And then another person is mostly always positive thinking. So they're, they're just inherently like that. So it, uh, you can't much control. Everything's right except that last talk part. You can change. If you're a person that has negative thoughts all the time, you can change to become a person that has more positive thoughts. That is, your default thinking is positive and optimistic. Now, nothing I'm saying here is easy. It's easy to say it. Okay? It's very hard to do it. All right? I guess how being a better, they say, positive uh, vibe or in, in the, what do you call it, the company who have a positive attitude. That's why all these TED Talks, and if you listen to them, just listening to them make you change your thought process, right? Mm. It, it, it's not like one step process. It takes time, but eventually but you can change. become more positive and positive. Yes, and you can do that, and that's called Lesha, which we'll talk about. Okay, so what does the book say you should think about? Well, that's great. It's a whole chapter, okay? The book says, to make room for pure thoughts, and drive out the evil ones, Jainism recommends thinking about the 12 bhavnas. Who remembers what the 12 bhavnas are? Okay, so the, the, the 12 reflections, that is, if you find yourself with nothing to do, you should think about these things. Um, there are, they cover a wide, wide field of Jainism. They're designed to serve as an aid to spiritual progress, leading to the path of renunciation by helping to understand reality. They're reflections upon the fundamental aspects of life. And they're a chapter in your book. So, so let's see, 12 bhavnas. For me, it is chapter nine on page 99. Does anybody need a book? Yes, you need a book. Pass that down, please. Okay. Uh, Anitya bhavna, transitoriness, asharam bhavna, helplessness, samsar bhavna, the cycle of birth and death, ekatva bhavna, solitariness, anyatva bhavna, otherness, asuchi bhavna, impurity, ashrav bhavna, inflow, samvar bhavna, blockage of karma, nirdra bhavna, shedding of karma, loka sabhavna bhavna, the nature of the cosmos, Bodhiburla bhavna, the rarity of enlightenment, dharma bhavna, religion. Okay, so it covers everything. <laughs> it covers everything you could possibly want to know about Jainism and the 12 bhavnas. So this is kind of, this class is the practical applications of Jainism. And the people that wrote the book understand that, hey, some people just want to know, tell me what I should do. Well, there are the codes of conduct that will tell you how to act. And if you're wondering about what you should be thinking about, these are the things you should be thinking about. Uh, anybody else need a book? Okay, so here's what the book says about thinking. Now, it's a little bit confusing because they use the wrong word. They use the word meditation. Um, it's going to confuse you. So if it confuses you, let's talk about it. But don't think about what we do when we meditate, okay? 
Meditation or dhyan is the process of concentration of the mind on a single topic, preventing it from wandering. So don't think about the word meditation. Just think about concentrating the mind on a single topic. We are always in every moment in meditation, either virtuous or non-virtuous. This concentration could arise from intense passions like anger, ego, deceit, and greed. So it's calling meditation, if you're angry and you're concentrated on something, it's calling that a destructive meditation, okay? So it's just that you're concentrating on something negative. So think about just the word concentration if it confuses you. This is not a virtuous meditation. Since it since non-virtuous meditation is a cause of rebirth, it is worthy of rejection. On the other hand, if it arises from the search of truth, that is the concentration of your mind and absolute detachment, it is a virtuous meditation. So it's just talking about what you think about. It is the cause of spiritual good and liberation, so worthy of acceptance. When the soul gets rid of all auspicious and inauspicious intentions and dilemmas and attains a state of unbiased absorption, then all bonds of karma break down. In fact, virtuous meditation entails forgetting all worries, intentions, and dilemmas and stabilizes the mind. However, it is of no avail to inflict pain on the body if it is not going to purify the thoughts. That's true, right? Uh, what use is praying if you don't know what you're praying about, right? What use is doing a puja if you don't understand it, right? So because thoughts are the precursors to all actions, well, if, if your thoughts ain't right, right, it doesn't matter what you're saying or what you're doing, right? To do virtuous meditation, it has to pre be preceded by swadhyaya or study. So you have to have the right information to do the right things because they're informed by the right thoughts. Swadhyaya is the cause and meditation is the effect, that virtuous concentration on doing good. So the 12 bhavnas involve contemplating the nature of the soul, thinking about the difference between soul and matter, and concentrating on the two, true self. Without the knowledge of what is the soul, what is karma, what are the teachings of the Thirthankar and similar subjects, how can one engage in virtuous meditation, right? So you can't, you can't think properly unless you have the information beforehand. Okay, so questions or comments on that? Hi, how are you doing? Is it okay? Yeah, come on in. We're, we're talking about thoughts today and what you should be thinking Fasting. about. Fasting, huh? Thoughts. Oh, So now let's finish our discussion that we started last week about what counts and what doesn't count. So there's um, bondage, bun, occurs in three different ways, okay? Physically, verbally and mentally, okay? So the, the examples the book gives are physically killing, hunting, crushing, living things, okay? Verbally, abusive, harsh words, gossiping, things like that. Mentally, thinking bad about somebody or something like that. Okay, now there are three ways you can do those three things, all right? You can do it to yourself. You can um, ask somebody else to do it for you or you can encourage somebody who's already doing that, okay? So three ways to do three things, that's nine things, okay? So physical, verbal, mental, yourself, ask somebody else to do it for you, or encourage somebody else who's already doing it. So because thinking is one way, and having, and one combination is thinking about yourself, uh, well, let me go back first. Because thinking is one of them, that means it's absolutely true that thoughts cause bun, okay? Even not acting on them. It's important to understand that thinking negatively causes karma to bind to your soul, okay? So if anybody had a question of, oh, I don't do anything, but I thought it, is it, do I still have negative karma? Yes, you do, okay? I have a question. Yes. Brings back to our last week's conversation uh -huh. about... Uh, mother-in-law asking a kid to do puja. Isn't right. that the positive karma of similar, like you are not doing, you're asking someone else to do it for you. Very good. You hit on, you hit the nail right on the head. Now you say, hey, thinking counts. 
And one of the ways is ask somebody to do it for you. So Thimmer, you're wrong. You told me it didn't count before. But here's where, here's where it is. It doesn't count for them. It counts for you. If you ask somebody else to do something good, it's a pod, you get punya out of it for your soul. But they don't get punya for their soul because you asked them to do it. So if you think will, if you think badly about somebody else, it counts for you. You get negative karma, but that person doesn't get negative karma because you thought badly of him, right? So it does, so we still cannot be responsible for another person's soul. We still will not receive the karma from another person's actions, another person's thought. And we similarly cannot give another person based on us thinking about them any kind of bun. Does it make sense? So that's what counts. It counts it counts for your soul, it doesn't count for their soul. So she can keep doing it. <laughs> it's good for us. Yeah. Tell tell next week your kids to do puja for us. <laughs> I hope she's not listening to all this. <laughs> how do you So how do you uh, um I don't know, uh, have help somebody think differently. Like, if somebody's always like saying negative things or thinking negative things, how can I influence them to be like, stay positive, you know, don't think that way. Like, I don't know, is it, I feel like sometimes I'm like, Telling them too much or like nagging, like why right. do you think that way? Like don't right. think that way. Or, right. Like then I feel bad. Like why am I saying this? Mm -hmm. They should just be with their own thoughts. Or, I don't. I'm not sure. No, you should try to help people along and help people have better thoughts, especially our children. We should try to help them achieve a better state. We should help them with the mental struggles they're going through, and it has very little to do with Jainism, right? And more to do with. Um, helping them psychologically, right? And that's something that we should do. And that's something that um, we should do as a parent and that will help us too because if we think positively about others, we get good karma because remember, thinking counts for our soul. I don't think I answered your question properly. Yeah, no. I Does mean, anybody it's, have it's, any I think it's better help? Um, maybe a personal struggle. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I think it's intrinsic you um, it has to come from within to, to change the thoughts there's a book called uh, positive intelligence it talks about um, like in our mind we have saboteurs it's called so negative thoughts are saboteurs that you can't do this you can't do that you won't be you won't be able to do it how do you suppress those negative thoughts and and create more positive thoughts it's about that it's uh, more. But it's it's kind of self motivated, right? That yeah, that person yeah. has to want to change, right? right. That's what I'm trying to. So me telling you, don't think negative. Positive reinforcement. It's how you talk to them also. So there's another uh, book called Good Inside by Dr. Becky. If you even look at her Instagram or like TED Talks, she has she has a bunch of other stuff, and it's all about everyone has a good inside them. Even the person who is a bad thing has a good inside them. Or even the kid who is a toddler has a good intention inside them. They just don't know how to deal with Get it. Out. So it's a really good book. Uh, or even her Instagram stories, if you want to read every day, she has one. Um, it just changed your behavior and how you react to them. And ultimately, it will change their behavior. Mm. What you're doing in that specific instance is you're being the interrupt that they should learn how to do based on their negative action. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when we have negative thoughts, it kind of spirals into more and more negative thoughts. But by telling somebody to stay positive and giving them reasons that they should feel gratitude, you're doing that process for them. And if you do it enough times, the thought is that hopefully they'll start to do mm -hmm. it and they'll internalize that. Okay, so when we take a vow of, let's say, any vow, let's say ahimsa, we take a vow against violent thoughts. 
Why? We should know now why, right? There are three reasons. First, because thoughts are the precursor to speech and actions, which we talked about. So even if we talk about just if we're fighting anger, ego, deceit, and greed, if we have angry thoughts, they're the precursor to angry speech and angry actions. Same thing with ego, deceit, and greed. The second reason is because the violent thoughts themselves attract bad karma just by themselves, even if you don't act on them or say anything based on them. And the third reason we didn't talk about, we touched on last time, is the opportunity cost. You could have been using those thoughts to think about something you're supposed to be thinking about. And if you don't know what to think about, it's in chapter 9 of the book, the 12 bhavnas. So three reasons we should avoid uh, we uh, when we take about ahimsa, for example, should avoid violent thoughts. Three reasons for you. Good reasons. Questions or comments about that? Okay, so to continue our further example from last time, when you wish well of others, which you should do, it counts for your soul. It, you, don't, you send good vibrations over them, you give emotional support, that's great, but it doesn't count for their soul. It counts for your soul. Okay, so let's talk about lesha. Who knows, who remembers what lesha is? Thoughts or whatever your state of mind is or thought is at any given point of time. That's right. Lesha is your state of mind. Um, and it's divided in, uh, um, into six categories and they just picked colors to describe the categories. Okay, you can pick numbers or whatever you want. Um, uh, it sometimes people call it complexion or the spiritual color of your energy, which is kind of a woo-woo term. Okay, but um, there are six categories: Krishna lesha, which is black; Neel lesha, which is blue; Kapota lesha, which is gray; Tejo, Tejo lesha, which is red; Padma lesha, which is lotus colored, which I think is yellow or pink; and Shukla lesha, which is white. And white is the best and black is the worst. So you go, so we, we did that from worst going to best. Um, who remembers the story of the old people in the mangoes? This is the Lesha story. Does anybody remember the, remember the story? Six different people thinking about cutting the tree down all the way from cutting the tree down and picking like that yeah but you gotta tell us the whole story <laughs> don't just give us a summary once upon a time once upon a time there were six people that were walking and they, they were hungry and they came across a tree um, the one person said let's cut the tree down and get the fruit the other person said let's we don't need to cut the whole tree let's cut a big branch third person said, let's not cut a big branch, let's cut a small branch. The fourth person said, let's cut, cut the branch, just, just, just the fruits. Just, let's just pick the fruits, but there's like, the last yes. one is picking up the fruit from the from ground, the ground. Mm -hmm. but there's one missing. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, okay, so this describes your lesha. Each of those persons had different leshas. That is, the sixth person did, the first person, sorry, didn't even conceive of an idea where he didn't cut the tree down. That's called a precluded thought, okay, when it doesn't even occur to you. And that's what we're talking about. I told you we'd come back to it later. Um, if it doesn't even occur to you to push a person off a bridge who's bending over, right, that's great. That means you're not in the last one, okay? So it doesn't even occur to you. It's a precluded thought, all right? So I dislike that story because it's not really believable because who would see mangoes on the ground and then decide to cut the branches? So we've updated the story. There is now a cockroach in your house and you have to do something about it. What do you have to do? Well, the sixth person kills the cockroach, right? The fifth, the fifth person picks up the cockroach and flushes it down the drain, okay? The fourth, uh, what are we going, six, five, four? The fourth person, um, uh, picks up the cockroach and just puts a cup on it and just leaves it there and just is going to get back to it after it dies because it doesn't want to do anything, right? Uh, the third person um, uses a broom and then tries to sweep the cockroach out into the garage and kills it in the process, right? The third, the second person picks up the cockroach with his hand and then throws it out, right? And then the first person like gently picks up the cockroach and lays it outside out of the house, right? So a lot of times, 
the sixth person, no idea that you can pick up a cockroach and put it outside and not cause harm to it, right? Just you see a cockroach, you kill it, right? No idea that uh, a higher state of mind exists, right? It's a precluded thought. And this concept of a precluded thought is very important because it forms the basis of the argument against free will. And it will open the door to you to understanding how something like Gevilnyan could ex exist. How could some somebody know everything that's going to happen? Well, if you don't believe in free will, then it's very easy to find somebody that could know everything that could happen, okay? And so how does a preclusia or precluded thought form the basis of an argument against free will? Let's say I ask you a question like, well, what are, you like sci-fi movies, okay? Well, what are your favorite sci-fi movies? And you tell me, well, I like this first movie, the second movie, and this third movie. And I say, great. <laughs> what about this fourth movie? And you say, oh, I forgot about that. I didn't even think about that. That's my favorite movie. Well, in what way, that was a precluded thought, right? You just didn't even think about it, okay? It just didn't occur to you. So in what way did you make a choice, right? You didn't really make a choice because I gave you the quote-unquote correct answer and then you switched your choice to that one. So it seems like your first decision wasn't really a decision at all, okay? And so once you start going down that path, you start understanding um, how free will might not exist and how something like karma can control you and how something like Kevonyan could exist. Questions or comments about that? So we, um, so about... Can we consider, let's say, the aptitude or tendencies? Correct, because they're the state of mind. Not aptitude will describe how good you are at something, but tendencies I like because it's tendencies towards what you'll think about. Um, and so... Um, what I forgot to mention was we're not in that state permanently. You're in a state of lesha for like as long as a train of thought exists. So you move from color to color. Um, it's not like you're just in one color um, all the time. But you want to keep on moving up and you want to make it so your whole life you're in the highest form of lesha and you don't have um, all your precluded thoughts are precluded negative thoughts. You never think about killing the cockroach. That thought doesn't even occur to you. You never think about cutting down a mango, a uh, branch of a mango tree. That thought doesn't even occur to you. You would rather stay hungry and pass by the mango tree. Or if you had to uh, cause violence against the cockroach, you'd rather let the cockroach be there rather than uh, try to cause violence against the cockroach. We all want to live our whole life in that highest form of leisha because then we will start to enter a virtuous feedback loop or an upward spiral, some people call it, where we have, because we all our precluded thoughts are negative, we don't even have the opportunity to get bad karma attached to our soul, right? So that's when you start living a virtuous life. And that's what, of course, the 12 bhavnas are all about. That's what we've been talking about this whole time is what we should be thinking about and why we should be thinking about that. So very off-topic, weird questions. The weirder, the better. If you see one animal eating or trying to attack the other animal to eat it, at that point, what is the right, what should be the sound choice? You stop the animal attacking the other one or you let the nature do its course because that's the food for that parrot or whatever? Second one is the right answer all the time. Mm -hmm. Let the other animal eat the second one? Yeah. If it's not within your control, if you don't have any kind of... Um, no, but you have the control. <laughs> but don't let them eat your no, pet. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, like, if it's not your pet or if we're talking about, let's say, a child hits your child, right? Now, that's a different story, okay? You might say, oh, it's the same, an animal attacking another animal. It's a little bit different story because... Lion and deer is what he's talking about. Yeah. No, not about lion deer, but let's say uh, I see a pigeon, for instance. It's, you know, it's there in front of my house and I see a cat, it's just looking at the pigeon and probably going to attack. I sense that, so I have a choice. I can, you know, uh, intervene and uh, let pigeon fly and so that uh, it's, it's, his life is saved. And but uh, in that process, the cat does not get the food. Right, and that's so, why you should not intervene because the cat might die because he starves. 
because that was his last opportunity. And you have no idea. You don't touch bad karma. Like, good karma and bad karma both. You don't know, I guess. But how has good... I mean, good... Yes, because, it's you the say, pigeon, yeah, but, but you bad, have to be the cat. Yeah, but that's what you don't know about that, though, right? Like... That's right. You don't know. And that's why you should not intervene, right? And what I mean by if you don't have any control, like if you don't have any attachment to the system that's going on in front of you. For example, if it's your child, then you intervene and you take actions and you take a compassionate view. You want to encourage nonviolence in others. But if we're talking about two animals and none of them's your pet and you are at an arm's length distance from the whole situation, then the correct thing is not to intervene. Like if it was your cat. Who's, who you know is not hungry then and is just attacking the then, pigeon for fun, then you can in, then, you should yeah. intervene. Yeah, yeah. But if it's a wild cat, maybe like a tiger or something, attacking, attacking a pigeon, then you let it take its course. I will think that it's the, the karmas of their own souls that will define what happens to them. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Did that answer your question or no? Yeah. Okay. You can see different people's perspective, right? Like, right. I don't want to be the only one thinking in one way. Right. I always intervene. Yeah. <laughs> then you're like, Mamina Puchel. <laughs> you should intervene there. <laughs> yeah, because... Yeah. No, because, because you, can, you can feed the cat. Yeah. You can fly pigeon, you can give food to the cat. Right, right. And it's a, it's a matter of uh, not having all the information and, you know, mainly not knowing what's going to happen in the future, right? And that's why you intervene. Other questions or comments? Okay, so we've been talking about the thoughts. Thoughts occur in the brain. Remember, there's a conscious brain and a subconscious brain. So. The con what we call the conscious brain is made up of generally, so all this is kind of not very precise because the brain is usually all one organ, but this is the best we've come up with, okay? So the conscious brain, the, the parts of the brain that are responsible for your consciousness are the frontal lobes, which consist of the prefrontal cortex, okay, right here. The prefrontal cortex is involved in decision-making, planning, and social interactions. The parietal lobes, which process sensory information and integrate sensory information into your consciousness, and the temporal lobes, which are involved in memory formation and uh, thought processing uh, related to immediate past experiences. That's what we think form the conscious mind, the part of the brain. The part of the brain that helped form the subconscious mind we call the limbic system, which includes structures of the brain like the amygdala, the hippocampus, which are associated with emotions and memory, and instinctual behaviors. The set of cells we call the basal ganglia, which play a role in motor control and procedural memory. And the brain stem, which is back here, which regulates physiological functions like breathing, heart rate, and sleep cycles. So we've kind of gone from the most reasoning part to the very basic parts that you have no control over. We think those are the parts of the brain that form the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. But remember, the hard problem of consciousness exists, and that's one of the pieces of evidence we have for the soul. That is, how does qualia exist based on matter? That is, how does matter form subjective experience? Science has no answer to that problem and because the answer is the soul. Can Question? you repeat that? Sure. Uh, there are pieces of evidence that the soul exists, right? Does anybody remember? Uh, one, one, we'll go backwards first. One piece of evidence that the soul exists is that experienced meditators have tapped into characteristics that has been, of the soul that have been predicted by Jainism. Specifically, infinite peace, infinite happiness, infinite contentment. Spiritual meditators have tapped into what has been predicted. So that is confirmation, one piece of confirmation that the soul exists. Another uh, piece of 
evidence that the soul exists is that the hard problem of consciousness exists. The hard problem of consciousness is how does matter give rise to subjective experience or what is termed qualia? Because your brain is just matter, right? So if I used some kind of matter replicator to replicate your brain, exactly, it would not have the subjective experience that you have. That is what we call a mind, okay? So a mind has the subjective interpretations of your experience that are not the brain because the brain is just an organ, it's just matter, right? And so the hard problem of consciousness is how does matter, the brain, give rise to the mind or subjective experience? There's no answer. And the answer is because it is matter in combination with your soul that gives rise to subjective experience. That is the hard problem of consciousness. The answer is the soul. But you can't measure the soul, so scientists haven't accepted that the answer is the soul. And so that's, I, I wanted to remind everybody of that because we're talking about the mind and the brain. Well, the evidence you can see is the, when, when a body has left the soul, right? Like, right. Then, then you know the person is, you know, doesn't right. have a soul anymore. Right. So if somebody dies of what they call old age or natural causes, science cannot pinpoint why this person was alive at this second and why this person was dead at this other second. You know, there's no like hemorrhaging. There's mm -hmm. no things like that. It's just alive at one point and dead at one point. And we know it's because the soul has left the body. But what is the difference in scientifically in the, let's say, for example, in the brain between one second and the next second, no difference. We cannot measure that difference currently. So when we say person is a brain dead, that doesn't mean the soul has left. Mm. Soul is still there. The heart is still beating. Yeah. I think I think so. I think that's the right question, but I'm not sure. I think that's the right answer, but I'm not sure. If somebody is in a subconscious state permanently, does their soul still reside in their body? I think so. Because it's just that. Um, for example, you, uh, a person that lacks one of the senses, their soul still resides in their body. They're just blind or they're just deaf, right? So a person that lacks all of their senses, including the ability to form conscious thoughts or be conscious, I would think still has a soul because there's still subconscious activity. Because that subconscious activity in the brainstem, which regulates heart rate, so their heart is still beating. So I think there's still subconscious activity and even subconscious activity is provided by the soul. So I think that's the right answer, yes. Other questions or comments about anything we talked about today? Uh, what is Jainism's opinion about free will versus your uh, uh, your Purushat, like what is it? What, uh, like what, what do we say? Like do we, uh, all the time when we do something is always our free will or is it predestined or is based on uh, what effort we put in? Hybrid answer. Sometimes some karma bonds so strongly to you that you must experience the result of that um, fruition. And so there are four types of bond. Loose, tight, tighter, and tightest, okay? They call that Sprusta or Shitilband, uh, karma is attached to the soul like a loose knot. Bada or Gadaband, karma is attached to the soul like a tight knot that can be loosened with some effort. Uh, Nidata, karma is attached to the soul like a very tight knot that can only be loosened by very strong efforts. Nikachit, karma so tightly attached to the soul that they cannot be shed off by any effort except by bearing the results. So a hybrid answer. Some things are not in your control and you are destined to experience because it's nikachit band. Some things you have free will about. You, you, if you do enough tap, you will get out of the consequences of those actions. And you have the free will to perform that tap. So Jainism says it's a, it's a hybrid. It's a compatible, I don't think they call it compatibilism, but both you have free will in certain respects and you don't have free will in other respects. But of course, you had a lot of, to get something in that Nikachit Bund, you had to do quite 
a bit of your own free will to get that, right? So, so the purpose of doing or not doing the karma makes a difference in what kind of good karma you are getting. Say, for example, as a Jainism, as a Jains, we are not supposed to eat root vegetable. But I'm still eating. But then now, because it's not healthy for fitness purpose, I stop eating it. So the purpose is not to not follow because of the Jainism. It's right. some different purpose. Does it still matter? Like, what are your purpose of not doing that karma results in the different positive karma? Yes, it still matters. Your intentions always matter as to how tightly the karma binds to your soul. If you got rid of root vegetables because of Jainism, that would have been better than getting rid of root vegetables because you wanted to look better. So you're still doing some good, but it would have been better if you had done it for the right reasons. Okay, this class is called Practical Applications of Jainism. So what are we going to do with the information that we learned? How are we going to take it out of this room and into our lives? I think bring some more awareness to your thoughts. I, I, I definitely have learned a lot today. It, it makes your perspective different towards your thought that you get. And you're more aware next time getting those thoughts. Right. How you have control on those. Right. The first step to controlling your thoughts and thinking the right things is being aware you're thinking. Most of us are not aware we're thinking all the time. All the time. Even if we think we're relaxed and we're not thinking about anything, you are so wrapped up in thinking that you cannot imagine not thinking. And once you get that tiny glimpse of a window into when you start meditating, that your awareness is different from your thoughts, you'll open up an entire world and then you'll realize that, hey, you'll get some kind of control over your thoughts and that gives you some kind of control over your life. So I agree with you absolutely. The whole thing to think about is to have more awareness of our thoughts. Uh, what else? How I'm interested in you increasing the quality of your life by what you learn here. And even if you don't believe in Jainism or a soul or afterlife, the things you learn here can improve your, let's say you think this is the only life you have. The things you learn here can improve your life right now. How can we do that? I have one question regarding meditation. It might be not what you're asking. No, no problem. Uh, we say we meditate because we want to get rid of all the thoughts and be in a state of mind where nothing distracts you and just that, you know, in a very calm state where I have I have tried to meditate and every time as a, as a human you come with those thoughts in your mind, right? Then what happened is when I start doing more and more, I still feel that those thoughts are not getting away. Then I thought of giving the direction to that thoughts while meditating. For example, I just every time start with maybe, okay, I'm having a thought. Let me put it into first as gratefulness. You know, I just start being grateful for everything. Then I start sensing, okay, there are some thoughts which might come in my mind, which might hurt others. So I just start to forgive, you know. Is it that type of meditation? What you say is you're bringing your thought, you're having those thoughts and you're kind of giving direction and still not in that uh, state where you have no thoughts. Right. So, so how do you compare this meditation with the uh, meditation where you have no thoughts at all? Sure. So... You are getting confused because you're confusing a couple of different concepts, which is fine. Um, but I would like to unravel that for you. The first thing is that there are different types of meditation. Mm -hmm. And so in your, in your, the, the, what you told me you went through, you started out with one type and then you weren't having success. Mm -hmm. So you inadvertently switched to another type and you inadvertently switched to another type. So uh, we'll start with the, the second type first. You wanted to be grateful. There is a kind of a gratefulness meditation you, where you experience and you're appreciative and grateful and you practice an attitude of gratitude. That's something separate. Uh, there is something called kindness loving meditation where you forgive people. That's a kind of a different meditation. And so let's not talk about those. Uh, we're not ready for that because those aren't going to answer your questions. Let's talk about the very first meditation you should do, which is an awareness meditation. 
And so what you should be doing, you mentioned that the point was to have no thoughts. And the reason you're getting upset and not having a success is because your goal isn't correct. You will never have no thoughts. You cannot control the origination of the thoughts. You cannot control which thoughts or sorry, you cannot control that your subconscious delivers thoughts to your conscious mind. But you can control whether to focus on a particular thought or not. And what you should practice is how to let thoughts go. You felt like you were not in control and you were losing control and that led you to the other things because your goal was wrong. Your goal should be to notice the thought and let it go. And then guess what? Another one's going to come. And you notice that one and you let it go. And you notice another thought and you let it go. And once you start doing that, you'll start to realize that awareness is different from thoughts. And you cannot control the thoughts, but you can control awareness so that a, once you become good, it's like a muscle. That as you exercise that muscle, you can become better and better at it. So you're better and better at letting go of thoughts. So it's not that you're having no thoughts, which is why it was confusing to you. What people describe as that state of meditation where, oh, I don't have any thoughts. They're just really, really good at letting them go all the time because they can't control whether they have a thought. And they're really, really good at not focusing on any particular thoughts because your brain is desperately trying to get your attention focused on a particular thought, any thought. And once it realizes you're starting to let them go, it will start panicking and sending you hundreds and hundreds of thoughts. And you have to keep letting them go. Like you just magically have balloons in your hand. And you just have to keep letting them go without thinking about them. Because your brain is designed to try to arrest your attention. It loves when it, that's why we call it the monkey mind. Your brain loves to enslave your awareness. And that's the right word for it. It will enslave you if it can. You have to take control back from your brain by making sure you have the ability to let thoughts go. That's what particularly happens when you are doing mala. Otherwise, you don't have much of the thoughts. But when you start the mala, all kinds of thoughts start exactly. pushing in there. Right. And you keep wondering, what's when I was not doing mala, now I started mala and I have so many thoughts coming in. Right. So when you're exactly. trying to think, you think more. Is, what, is, what, no. So what? the word thinking is wrong. There's awareness and then there are thoughts. And what thinking is, is your thoughts arresting your awareness. Okay. So you are trying to let go of thought. Okay. You're trying to not let your thoughts arrest your awareness. Because what happens is once one thing does, then it knows it got you. And that's why we call it a train of thought. So you notice an itch in your side and that arrests you. Then you start thinking about the doctor. Then you start thinking about how you hate your doctor. <laughs> then you got to start thinking about how you got to get another doctor's appointment. Oh then you got to start thinking about somebody else that was hurting. And then you and then you, you're completely enslaved. Okay. Right. But if you had let go of that thought in the first place, you wouldn't have followed that train. So this this word is confusing you thinking. Okay, there's awareness and there's thoughts and there's thoughts arresting your awareness, which we call thinking. Great. I'm glad I was able to answer that question. If there's an answer, I want to give you an answer. What's the practice of Pratikraman that we do? Isn't it like reflecting on your day and your thoughts and asking for forgiveness and for any harm that you've done mentally, verbally? physically well what do the prayers mean well we have to know that right the we the it's in the meaning of the prayer so when you do pratikaman why you're doing it is in the meaning of the words that you're saying so that's the first step you're not happy with that <laughs> Because it means you have to do more work, right? You have to understand what you're saying. So, right. unfortunately, yes, you have to do more work in order to understand. If you're, you're asking me, why do we do Pratikaman? And I'm telling you, the answer is in the words that you say when you do the Pratikaman. But what, I'm, what I'm thinking is, do you have to recite the prayers to do Pratikaman? Because the goal is what you're trying to do with meditation. 
it's easier, okay? So it's easier to do, to physically do something as well as say the prayer, as well as think it. Because if you just think it, it's easy to get distracted like with the mala, right? But if you're like doing something, it's harder to get distracted. And if you're saying something, it's even harder to get extract, uh, uh, distracted. So the reason we do it, the reason we say something and the reason we do things and we sit down and we get up and we bow and we do all that is so we don't get distracted. So the purpose of doing it is because it's easier than just sitting down and thinking about it. So you're right. Okay, if I can sit down and think about it. I bet you can't do it for 48 minutes without the words and the actions there to help you along. I bet you can't sit and think about Pratikaman for 48 minutes without getting distracted. It's the same thing with puja also. Correct. Puja, you know, you're doing the Dravya puja, but you are, you are getting rid of the so many thoughts when you are doing that. Questions or comments from anybody online? great. Thank you so much. I'm glad that uh, you're on the path and you're farther along than most people. So congratulations. Thank you everybody for your time this week. I really appreciate that. Thank you.